This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Well, this is a friendly church. Almost got a smooch there. Maybe afterwards, okay. All right. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Woo. All right, I, here's what I need you to do, if, if you would, just work with me. Everybody stand up, okay? All right, All right. good, get loose. All right, I wanted you to turn towards your neighbor and just give them your best high five. Just give them, Woo. Okay, all right. That was that was horrible. Somebody slapped somebody in the face. <laughs> All right. Do you know the trick to a good high five, right? Oh, yeah. Elbows. Yeah, you got to watch the elbow this time. A couple of you I saw know what you're doing. Watch the elbow. Not the hand, because you, you never know, right? Watch the elbow. Now do it. Let me see it. All right. Okay, you can sit down. You can sit down. That was a little better. That was a little better. Well, I am so excited to be here. I, it is an honor for me to be here. I, I want to say thank you to, to Elevate Church for all they do to help out the Erie City Mission. Uh, for every one of the new cards, they give $5 to us. So um, if you're not new, just say you are. <laughs> so, okay. That would be lying, and that would be wrong. <laughs> so, don't do that. Uh, but it is a privilege and an honor to be here. I want to start with a, a story. I was getting some takeout the other night, and I, I love getting... My wife and I get takeout a lot, because uh, we don't cook. And so, we often get takeout. We'll, we'll go to Cornerstone Bar and Grill, right by Tim Hortons, 38th and Pine, um, Call, I usually, you know, place my order on my way there. They're like 10 minutes. Sunday night is the best time because it's dead, right? So I, I place the order. I'm, I walk in. And it's packed. Oh, should people know it's Sunday night? Nobody's supposed to be here. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. I realized the next day was President's Day and maybe the student's you know, had the day, I didn't know what was happening, but it was packed, there's no room at the bar, and there's one bartender lady, and she's busy, and I'm trying to get her a, attention, you know how you do that, that thing, like, trying to make eye contact with the person, you're like, I'm here, <laughs> and I, I'm looking for a spot, and I see this one open spot, so I kind of sneak into it, and right in front of me is this enormous pitcher of beer, <laughs> it's just huge, and I, and I think, gosh, I hope... Nobody recognizes me. <laughs> uh, it's not mine, I swear. 
And I finally made eye contact and paid for my food. And she said, it'll just be a minute. You know, we're pretty busy. I was like, no problem. And just then, I see this hand come up over my shoulder. It's just, I'm like, ugh. And it's not stopping. It's not just, he's, it's his, I realize it's his beer. And I was like, mm-hmm. and he's just going for it, nice and slow. Oh. And he looks at me, sees that he, he might be, you know, being rude or something. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. I was like, is this your beer? I apologize. I didn't mean to be in your way. He said, don't worry about it. Dude, it's cool. You know, you know what? He says to me, you know what? I want you to have the time of your life. Oh, all right. I just came to get some takeout, going home. Uh, he's like, no, uh-uh, nope. He said, I want you, this is... This is your time. Tonight is your night. I'm like, okay, all right. I didn't know that, but I, awesome. Then he (laughs) snuggles up close, puts his arm around me. (laughs) He's like, dude, you, you are rocking that hat. So now I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great about myself everything. He was like, you know what? You're probably the best looking guy in this place. I was like, now I know you're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks so much. And am I praying for my food to come out? And I got my food. Him and I hug it out. Uh, and then I, I'm on my way, and I'm driving, I'm driving home, and I realized, it, you know, as I'm driving, I went and just picked up some food from a place that I really like, that I enjoy, that somebody else made for me. And I got in my truck that I own, that still runs, even though it has a cassette tape player, it still runs. And I'm driving back, to have dinner with my favorite person, my wife, in a house that we own, in a city that we love. And I said, you know what? He's right. I am having the time of my life. And so many times I feel like we are so worried about what's coming, what's out there. If I could just make it through this week, if I can just get to this promotion, if I could just get rid of this person in my life, if I could just get a new relationship or a a new person or somebody that will care about me, if I can just get to this next thing or get to the weekend. We're so focused sometimes on getting through that we miss what we have. And I, I have this moment with all of you and I don't wanna miss it. And our lifetime is made up of the moments that we have right now. And in this place, we know that when we come together to worship, God is here. Amen? And I'm grateful for all of you, and I'm going to give you the best that I got. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for everything that you've given us. And we declare in this moment 
that we realize that you are here and that you are working in our life, that we have so much to be grateful for and thankful for, that so often we miss what we have because we're looking forward of the way, to the way things could be. Help us today in this moment to realize what you're saying to us so that we can continue to incorporate your will and your word into our lives so that we continue to become the person that you have created us to be one moment at a time. And God, in this place, we pray that you would meet each person where they're at, that you would reveal yourself to them, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Today, I, my title for the message is, is to live yellow, and I, I really need to explain what that means. And it has nothing to do with yellow snow or whatever. It's, it's about living in what I call the yellow zone. See, when I was a camp counselor, my wife and I, back in the day, while we were just dating, uh, we were camp counselors at a place called Camp Ligonier Conference Center. And every time a new group of students would come in, we would explain to them that they need to stay in the yellow zone. See, the green zone was where life was too easy. It, everything was easy for you. It, it didn't come difficult. You didn't have to try. You just could do it. And I, and I feel like America, we love the green zone. We love to stay where it's comfy and where we know everything, that there's no surprises. And oftentimes, we build up some pretty big walls to keep surprises out. We love Netflix. We love comfort. We love all of the things that we know and can predict. And we would tell the kids, see, we're going we're gonna to hang you from some ropes 40 feet in the air. We're going to have you climb some rocks. We're going to have you go in a cave where you can't see. And we're going to do some whitewater rafting on a river where people have died. <laughs> we don't say that. But people have died there. Anyways, <laughs> if you stay in the green zone, this experience for you will not be a learning experience. You will not grow through this. But then there's the red zone where there is paralyzing fear. Anybody ever been in the red zone before? Yeah. One time I was fishing and I had gone to the Allegheny Forest with my dad. He took it. I was in seventh grade and we were in this trout stream and and. We were back in the woods, and I had wandered downstream from my dad, and, and we were catching these little trout. I mean, all I caught that day was like four-inch trout. And I just take them off the hook and throw them back. But I had caught like 40 of them. And so I was just covered in trout smell. And then I saw my very first black bear. Across the stream from me, no more than 25 feet away seemed like the largest animal that I've ever seen in my life. Like, I know that it wasn't, but because of what it was, I was paralyzed. And I called out to my dad in this voice. <laughs> like, just a squeak. I couldn't make words. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. This bear was going to obviously eat me. I was going, they, they, they tell you this lie, that, that the black bears are more scared of you than you are of them. And I guarantee you that that is not true. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do because I was covered in trout. I smelled like a meal. And I knew that he was just gonna come over and eat me, so what was I to do? And then I thought, 
Bug spray. I had some bug spray. So I reached in my fishing thing and I pulled it out and I started just covering myself in bug spray. Because I thought, if he's going to eat me, I'm going to taste bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a pump. And I was like... Like, it took a really long time. That's the red zone. <laughs> the yellow zone is that place where, with enough encouragement, you can do it. With, with enough people cheering you on, it, it's just difficult enough that you've got to step outside of that green zone, that you are going to challenge yourself, that you have enough of a vision and enough of knowing what your capabilities are that you just might be able to do this, but you're just not sure. You've never really done it before, but you think possibly you have enough faith in yourself. You, you know that with God's help, I can get out there and I can do this thing and people are coming beside me and it cheering me on, that's the yellow zone. And if you stay in the yellow zone in this camp experience, as you climb these ropes, as you hang from this wall, you're going to learn more about yourself than you could imagine. And I want to encourage you to live life in the yellow zone, to step out of that green zone. See, if our goal as scripture tells us, is to be like Christ, to, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we are to live there, and if we are to challenge this world with our lives, if we are to imitate Christ in everything that we do, then we have got to step out of our normal way of life and do something different and take a risk. We need to live in that yellow zone. And I believe that Jesus is challenging us and wanting us to do that. Have you ever taken a risk and learned something? John Maxwell has this book called Sometimes You Win and Sometimes You Learn. <laughs> and I just love that because you, if, when you take a risk, if you have that attitude, sometimes you'll succeed and sometimes you'll learn something very valuable about yourself and about life and put it to practice. I took a risk one time. See, before Jen and I were dating, we were just friends. I had just gotten dumped. And at that time, uh, that happened in a letter, okay? <laughs> a letter is a piece of paper that people use pens and they write on. Got the letter in the mail. I don't like you anymore. Something of that nature. Uh, I happened to be at IUP visiting Jen, my friend, when she got the letter from her boyfriend that it was now over. Um, in which case I said, well, can we make out now? <laughs> uh, that's actually what I did say. <laughs> um, but I was joking. We were friends, right? We we're just friends. And we stayed friends. She actually was the one that, that helped me uh, back to my relationship with Christ. She led me back to the Lord. And, and that summer, we went to hang out. We were both from Edinburgh, and we were hanging out. We're just friends. We're just friends. I knew that because when I told her that I loved her, um, she said, well, I like this guy, Brad. <laughs> so I knew that we were friends. <laughs> so one night, we're watching a 
movie, I was just, we were just friends. We were on the couch, nobody was home, and it was like a romantic comedy. And I, um, I just leaned over and I kissed her right on the mouth. <laughs> and uh, she kicked me out. So, but uh, we've been married 21 years. So, I don't, I don't, for the young people, that's not a good strategy. Don't use that strategy. God made it happen in spite of myself, but, you know, I'm just saying I took a risk. So, we're going to look at a passage about Jesus where he heals a guy that's deaf and can't speak. This is Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you want to go there, you can follow along with me or that on the screen. This is the NIV version. And this is what it says. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Now, I'm going to stop. I just want you to get an image. I want you to get the picture. Just visualize what's happening, okay? Imagine you're at church and you go up for prayer. I just want you to visualize what's happening in this passage. Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephrathah, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. I believe this is Jesus' reverse psychology. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And so I wanna talk to you today about taking risk. And and I've created an acronym, cleverly, RISK, okay? So each of the letters are gonna be a point in the message. So moving forward, uh, that, and I said this in in a message that I gave, I used the same analogy, and uh, I said I'm gonna use an acronym And somebody said that's, or no, I said acrostic. And somebody said that's an acronym. Like out of the crowd, just, that's an an acronym. I was like, oh, all right. So I looked it up. It's an acrostic. But he said it with such confidence that I'm like, oh, man, maybe I'm wrong. Because I've never been that confident about anything I just love how some people are just so confidently wrong that you just have to believe them. Like, wow. All right, well. It's acrostic. So the letter R, if you're a note taker, uh, and this might be breaking the rules, stands for risk. (laughs) So the first word of risk is risk. Okay. And if we are to live 
and take risks in order to be more like Jesus and to let the world know about our relationship with a God that unconditionally loves us and gave his life for us, then we need to live like Jesus does. And when we look at Jesus, he is, in this passage, traveling outside of his normal hometown, his normal region, his normal area of influence. He's outside of that. He's in Tyre and then up to Sidon, and then down to uh, a place called the Decapolis, which was 10 Greek cities. And so he's outside of his normal realm. And he goes out, and he's preaching and teaching, and he's ministering, and in this place, people bring someone to him. But how often do you go outside of your normal realm? How often do you go outside of that green zone, outside of, of your normal sphere of influence across the office or to the other side of the plant or uh, to those people that sit at the other table at lunch or to the people that live downtown or the people that live out in the country or the people that, how, how much do you get a chance to step outside of your normal re- region or area or influence or green zone, whatever it is, do you do that? There was a study done by people that were older than 95 years old. And when asked, if you were to do it again, what would you do differently? If you were to live over, what what would you do? And they said, I would risk more. I would take more chances. And how often are we looking for those things that really challenge us to step outside. And I'm not talking about stupid things that are destructive. I'm talking about the kind of risk that we know that we should take that help us grow. To reach out and talk to people that we don't normally hang out with. To go to places where we wouldn't normally find ourselves in. And when we started Church in a Bar, I was a country kid that felt like we should go to the city. And I didn't realize just how far outside of my green zone that was. But had I never done that, I would not have learned all of the things that I learned about how amazing all of the individuals were that I met in our city. So much so that I left that church in order to go to the city mission because I could then do church all week long. Are you challenging yourself? See, I think when you take risks, that's where life gets fun. That's where we, we don't go through the same old thing. We don't ever have the thought, man, it's just the same stuff, different day. Whose fault is that? If it's the same stuff in a different day, whose fault is that? <laughs> We have a saying at Celebrate Recovery that nothing great happens when you hold back. And we're so prone to hold back. The letter I stands for introduce more. To introduce more people, to take risk more, and to introduce more people to Jesus. Here's this crew, they find this friend that has these struggles and they bring them before Jesus. And I, and I think, you know, we have an opportunity, uh, your church, 
they have this service that's designed for people that may not know a lot about what it means to follow Christ or to know a God that loves them and cares about them. And, and you've designed a service over Easter to invite people to. And, and I thought this is a great opportunity to take that risk. And maybe just talking to people about your faith may be all the way at the edge of the outer edge of yellow zone for you moving into red. And if that's you, you've never done that, then those, those might be the steps that you need to take this week. But I thought even more than inviting somebody to church is, is an opportunity to, opportunity to take Jesus to people. How do I be Jesus to my community? How do I be Jesus to the people around me at work? Because this gentleman's needs probably were fairly easy to diagnose. He couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. But how many people know that those of us in middle class are pretty good at hiding our stuff, say I. <laughs> and you might have to do some hard work of getting to know somebody before you know how to meet them where they're at. To get to know them, to get outside of yourself, to think about who they are and what they need and what's going on and ask them questions about that and bring Christ to them to step out, to take that risk, and to do the hard work. We have this young lady that called me about serving at uh, the food pantry, and I said, well, what, what's your story? You know, what, what, what do you like to do? And she said, well, I was a missionary in Yemen to people of the Muslim faith for Christ. I was like, that's it? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, she, she's probably five, three, just a little thing, like really, really soft-spoken, just a real gentle spirit, but like you have to be tough as nails to go to another country, whatever country it is, and to be there and to share your faith. And she had learned Arabic, and, and she said her visa was not renewed, so she, she wondered if she could come to the food pantry and, and, and serve and, and minister to people that might be coming from other countries in the Middle East to help them and to serve them. And I was like, absolutely. She's pretty shy and she would come in and I'd try to ask her questions and get to know her because I, I'm me and I'm like on the end of the extrovert scale of wanting to get to know people. And I could, I, you know, it's, it's hard to talk to her a little bit quiet, but when these individuals would come in, she would talk a lot. I started to actually feel some type of way about it, but she, she really loved them, and she cared, and, and she began to translate for them so that they could get the services that they need, and then they invited her over to her house, their houses, and, and she became a friend, and now she knows all of, kinds of families that are maybe in the country for just a short period of time and she could help them get and teach them English and I mean she's stepping out and, and sharing what she knows and serving in a way but let, let me tell you there's you may not know Arabic and that's okay because most of the people in Erie speak English how many people speak English awesome all right great that is a great fit but to step out in your gifts and your passion and, and, and share and to take that risk and, and, and to introduce people to Christ. And, and the third thing is to sympathize more. 
And so in this moment, Jesus takes this gentleman who can't hear and can hardly speak, and he pulls him aside, and he gets him one-on-one, and he puts his, I mean, just picture, he puts his fingers in his ears. And he says, he spits and touches his tongue. Now, I don't know if he had to pull a hand out and spit and then touch his tongue or whether he just went, like, spit on his tongue. I'm not sure. Doesn't give us the detail. But if that happened at church, how many people would come back? (laughs) Would you come back if you got healed? Absolutely. In this moment, I feel like Jesus literally is plugging himself into this guy's pain. It says that with a deep sigh, which in the Greek language literally means to to groan in pain with this person. He looked up to heaven and in feeling the pain, not just introducing and getting to know his needs, but feeling the pain that he felt to understand the struggle that he understood. And looking up to heaven and then being able to do something about it. Like when you take that risk and you reach out to other people, are you getting to know who they are? Are you understanding their life and their pain and their struggle? Or is it all about you? As Jesus was here to seek and to save the lost, and when we go and take his love to this world, when we reach out and take those risks, we are plugging ourselves into the pain and struggle of the world and in sharing Christ with them, that he is the only answer. I, uh, 18 years ago, I've told this story here before, but I want to make an extra point about it. I was traveling uh, in Edinburgh. It was the middle of the night, 1 a.m. in the middle of winter. It was about 17 degrees outside, and I was going home, and I had crossed this bridge by Hobbs Lumber out in Edinburgh, and I hit the sign, and when I got to the sign, I really felt like God told me to turn around and go back. And when I turned around, I got back, and, and there was a guy in the snow. And I, I, at the time, I was driving my Geo Metro, which was like the smart car of the 90s. <laughs> and, I, and I get out, and I went over, and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, leave me alone. And I, and I said, listen, I'm, I can't leave you here. Let me help you. And he said, just get out of here. And I went over and I stuck in my hand and I grabbed his hand and I said, here, I'm, I'm not leaving. Let me give you a ride home. And I pulled him up. He was like 6'4". And he got in my car, which was funny. <laughs> and as we began to drive back to his place, I said, listen, I don't know what you think about this, but I felt like God told me to turn around and come back. And he just erupted into tears. I was like, what's going on? And he said, well, tonight I started drinking at 6 o'clock in order to get drunk so that I could come out here and I was going to kill myself. I was going to lay in front of a car. And he was like, your car was going to be the car that I laid in front of. It came to my mind that, like, dude, a Geo Metro would never kill you. (laughs) And I, I I didn't say that. We got back to his place, and uh, you know, we talked about his life and his struggle, and he just didn't feel like he measured up, and I asked him what he did. He was an animation major, and, and uh, I said, what did he want to do? And he said, well, he really wanted to work for this company that created VeggieTales. 
And I was like, well, that's why you're depressed. You're setting your goals too high. I also didn't say that. And after we talked and we prayed, I, I said, do you have time for church in the morning? He said, well, I do now. So we went to church and he ended up getting hooked up with a Bible study uh, from the wife of an, the animation professor that he had at Edinburgh. And animation professor went to the church that I worked for and told me that he had turned in some of his work and he was, this kid was receiving an award and the, the award was a Chuck Jones Award, which is an international animation award. Chuck Jones was the creator of Bugs Bunny. And they, they said that they were going to do this big presentation and, and reward him. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so we went, and the news was there, and they literally had Chuck Jones on the phone and presented the award, and the kid was going nuts. And then they started to read the proposals for job offers from different companies, and one was from Pixar, and one was from DreamWorks, and Disney, and Big Idea Productions who is the creator of VeggieTales. And two weeks later, he met the vice president of Big Idea, and he got the job, and he went to work for VeggieTales and did some animation for VeggieTales, and he came and premiered the Jonah full-length feature film at the movie theater here before it came out, and, and he invited me out to Chicago to show, show me the thing, and, and he, now, uh, he now works for the people that created the Trolls and Coraline, but I tell that story not only because God has a purpose for us, but how God continues to use us as long as we are wanting to feel the pain and struggle that the world feels. And I, I was telling that story at Pitt Titusville two weeks ago, and, and a young lady came up after the talk, and she said, my dad did that, but he never got up. That he laid down in front of a car and was killed. And to feel the pain that she was in and to help her to begin to move through it and find help for it. But folks, we have a world that's really hurting, that's really struggling, that, that needs us to step out of our comfort zone and reach them with the love of Christ. Which brings me to the last point that letter K is know that only Jesus breaks the chains. And that verse literally says that the chain of his tongue was loosened that he broke the chain of that guy's tongue. And there are so many people that the chains of this world and sin and brokenness and hurt and shame have kept them tied down and only Jesus can break their chains. Only Jesus is the solution. And that we know that we can be a part of God stepping in and doing something and introducing somebody to Jesus. We have that privilege and that opportunity. And sometimes we are just so scared to do that, but we've got to step out of that. Whatever that problem is, whatever that risk is, maybe you need to look it right in the face and give it a big kiss. <laughs> whatever it is, that there are people that are hurting, and listen, things will not change if we don't change them. If we don't trust God enough to, to step out, and I want to close with this quote, one of my favorite quotes, your system is perfectly designed to achieve the results you're currently getting. And when I heard that, I pulled off the road because I realized, hey, it's my fault. If I wanted to change, I've got to do something different. 
If I want more people to know Christ, I've got to step out and do something about that. I've got to understand what I can do and how I'm wired to do it. If you want to reach the people that no one is reaching, you have to do the things that no one is doing. And maybe tonight, today, this morning, whatever it is, that you're here and somebody took a risk on you and, and you've been contemplating the risk of surrendering and putting your faith and trust in Christ. And so I want to end with this prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you know that, that Christ has been drawing you and pulling you and, and this is the moment that you need to take the risk and step out and trust Christ with your life. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? That's awesome. Praise the Lord. If that was you, just... In your heart, you can pray this prayer. It's a prayer that I prayed when I surrendered my life to Christ. Lord Jesus, you came and, and lived a perfect life, a life that, that I couldn't live. And you went to the cross and, and died a death that I should have died for my sins, to pay for my sins. You paid for them in my place. And you rose from the dead and offered me a, a life that I don't deserve, yet you offer it freely by your grace. Today I surrender my life to your control and your will. And no longer am I in control, but you lead and guide me, because I love you. Thank you for forgiving my sin and giving me a new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.